0: Welcome to Cut Two, a new podcast from the Writers Guild of Canada. In each episode, we focus on a particular subject relevant to Canadian screenwriters and their art, whether it's an individual screenwriter and their body of work, an aspect of the craft, or a pressing issue in the industry. In this episode, we cut to the WGC's 2021 nominees for Best Comedy Series script. I'm Jenica Harper, showrunner of CTV's Jan, and as 2020's Best Comedy Series winner, I was asked to be your host today. Joining me are three of the WGC's 2021 Best Comedy Series nominees. Kayla Lorette and Ebony Rosen, who are nominated for their script, Who Are These Women?, from their Crave series, New Eden, which they co-created, wrote, and served as showrunners. And Winter Tekenos Levy, who was nominated with her co-writer, Kurt Smeaton, for their Schitt's Creek episode, Sunrise, Sunset. I am thrilled to be talking with some of our comedy WGC nominees this year, Kayla, Ebony, and Winter. Congratulations on your nominations. They are fantastic shows and specifically episodes. And just before we get started, could I ask all three of you to just say a few words about, you know, introducing yourself and your show and maybe also a couple of other other recent credits so people have a sense of, of what you're up to? Kayla, how about you? Oh, my God. OK, great.
1: Uh, hi, I'm Kayla and I uh, co-created New Eden with Ebony Rosen, who you will be hearing from in just some seconds. Uh, we also show ran that show and it was a really wonderful experience and other credits. Oh, my goodness. I feel like I'm going to screw this up. But yeah, I've been writing on a few different things. Some animated projects for Blue Ant is like the, the, the recent stuff. A lot of things that are in development, which is exciting during this
2: pandemic time. But yeah,
0: that's all. Excellent. Thank you. Um, Ebony, let's follow up with you.
2: I mean, seconds later is right. Here I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm Ebony Rosen. I uh, I am Kayla's uh, co-creator uh, uh, and co-showrunner on New Eden. Um, and gosh, what else? Very similar energy of, you know, just working on showrunning a few projects in development in a way that we're all feeling right now because COVID. So yeah, just kind of poking around some maybe shows for the time being, which I feel like <laughs> is the vibe. <laughs> love a maybe show love it
3: <laughs>
2: winter hi yeah um
3: i am also a writer and uh i am here because of Shit's creek which is you know a little show that uh now heard of it become very huge um but yeah and i've written on some sort of sketch shows like beaverton in 22 minutes uh Um, a little bit at Kim's convenience and uh, yeah, most recently an animated show for like, God, who is it for? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Family channel, I think Um, it's, but it's a really sweet, like, I guess it's, it's 12 year old boys age. It's kind of like an adventure time vibe. So it's been really fun to to do animation and, uh, and then, yeah, a couple of, maybe shows poking around here and there, but also really tried hard this year to just like write news stuff, which has been terrible. <laughs> it's really hard to write alone. And I like realizing how much I uh, miss working with people and it's hard to write alone.
0: Yeah. Yes. And it has been a very hard year to do some certain kinds of creative things, I think, but, um, thank God for maybe shows, uh, during the <laughs> pandemic. Um, so, okay. So this is great. So uh, some of, one of the things that I want to talk to you guys about is, um, sort of your background coming to, so you're, you're all, um, nominated as writers of, co- of scripted comedy, but I think you all have a variety of kinds of comedy and writing backgrounds. And I'd love to talk about sort of, those different paths to, to how you ended up here. And, um, and specifically, you know, the, you know, there's, there's sort of this, this, the real writing path, it's just scripted, you know, working on pilots and trying to break into rooms. And then there's performing and working on sketch and an improv and stand up. And, um, and I think you guys all have some, you know, a varied background that way. So I'd love to hear from you in terms of um, sort of that path for you.
3: Okay, I'm going to start and say (laughs) I I have like dipped my toe into performing, but I am truly I feel like I've always been more on the writing side. I've always been like, that's what I want to do. But improv maybe can help me. And, you know, I yeah, I've certainly done some improv shows and and like gotten a taste of that. But I would not say that that's like (laughs) anything I have. Done well, but it's funny too because I, if you google my name, which let's face it, we all google our name from time to time, it's like it says actor, and I'm like, it's it makes me so mad because I did like one web series one time, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> fine, I did one web series, but like most of my effort has been in writing, and uh, yeah, that's how they get so you, that's it's, how they get you, they find that one web series. <laughs> And that's it for me. I guess I'm an actor. So, yeah. But um, Kayla and Ebony, you guys have so much experience on the performer side. So please
1: take it away. Oh, yeah. Well, then I feel like I'm on the uh, on the flip side. I feel like Ebony is more of a hybrid of these these realms. I came strictly from a performance background. I've been doing improv since I was a teenager, like, you know, all cool people do. Um, And I think for me, the road towards writing was always just a um, a reason to open additional doors of expression and ways to facilitate like my own inspirations or stories I wanted to tell, or in a really specific way, characters I wanted to play, which is something that we'll talk about with New Eden. Uh so for me it was always like here I am at this level I've been doing this much performance or I've been doing this much on camera and what's the next step and the next set of skills I need to be able to open those additional doors because I as I'm sure we all know in Canada it's that diversifying of your skill set is the only thing that it feels safe and sustainable to continue to be an artist in this country. So that for me it's always been a more organic next step next step kind of question that brought me to writing a bit more. And that's it.
2: And yeah, I guess for me, like Kayla said, a true, feels like a real three bears experience. I <laughs> agree <a> one. <laughs> um <laughs>
3: I got, yeah, I got
2: my start out, uh, out East when I was there for college and I started doing um, sketch comedy out there and some improv and ended up in a little sketch troupe that most people probably don't remember called Picnic Face. Um, and in a very bizarre uh, turn of events, my first job out of college was uh, making our own TV show. Uh, for one season, as on you do, <laughs> as you do, <laughs> and then you get a quickly cancelled, as you do, as you um, do. <laughs> and then after that, you know, I moved back to Toronto, and it was sort of a time for me to figure out what I wanted to do. And I always knew I wanted to be a writer, but I had this kind of performance uh, background and was doing stand up as part of that hi- that classic hybrid experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started getting in more rooms, and my route was was through animation, was how I started. I started writing uh, on the animated side, which was a great place to start and cut my teeth and kind of learn how how rooms work and what it's like and delivering scripts. But in this world, that I won't say is low stakes, but is a little more like, eh, there's 52 of these. There's all they're all 11 minutes. Don't don't get too stressed out. This is soft way to learn. <laughs> um, and then from there, started moving into to you know to live action and other things, um, but. You know when Kayla and I sort of arrived at New Eden, it was such an exciting opportunity to hi- hybridize all those skills and really do exactly what you talked about—really focus on writing characters that we wanted to write. And I had always been, you know, writing my own stuff and in my own voice in terms of stand-up and other things. But it was exciting to have cut my teeth learning how to write in whatever the voice of the show was, which is the job, and then have the opportunity to set that tone it was a really exciting shift.
0: Awesome, and. Um, how did this partnership come to be? And and what was the genesis of New Eden? Well, the partnership really was a friendship first.
1: Ebony and I had met uh years and years ago now at like an at an improv festival and of course and of course cool people do <laughs> again <laughs> I, I can't ex- express how cool this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um kind of doing an ensemble improv piece. Um but we met there and then started developing our friendship mm-hmm. and then we we first kind of worked together uh on a film called Rollertown which was a picnic face film and that was really where we first connected and then we just had this good wonderful friendship for years and the first project we did together was an improv show called Network Notes at Bad Dog Theater where we played these two kind of network executives people would pitch us fake shows we would give terrible useless network notes and it was this wonderful (laughs) stupid show that we loved so much and then through that we kind of were encouraged to pitch a show to Carrie Mudd at Peacock Alley and and then New Eden was what we came up with.
2: Yeah, I think that we we were doing network notes and and that was, everyone was really excited by that, by everyone. I mean, people who get, you know, excited about improv. So cool. Um, And, you know, when we first talked to Carrie, it was like, is, can we make network notes a show? But it was such a like campy, clearly improv show. That we couldn't quite figure out how to make it work. So then, what we always joke about is we were like, oh, "Okay, no, we'll just instead we'll just come up with the most complicated show we could possibly ever think of that's set in three decades and is super hard to make." So that'll be
0: that's
2: <laughs> <laughs> how we ended up making New Eden.
0: Yeah, it is a very complex show, um and so I'm curious, and I'd, I'd like to talk to all of you and Winter as well about um you know the process of breaking stories on both of your shows. So New Eden limited series it's uh you must have had to break the whole thing at once i'm guessing um to be able to get a handle on it and to break it down into those timelines um so can we talk a bit about that and then winter i would love to talk about uh the writing process on schitt's creek and you know we have two nominated scripts from schitt's creek this year um so dan is not here where is he what could he possibly be doing i don't understand (laughs) however he's not here um, and neither is Kurt. <laughs> to be fair, Curt shooting. Is, I understand. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, but yeah, I'd love to hear about the writing process um, on Schitt's Creek and and how much is room and how much is you go away with you know in this case you went, went away with Kurt to do some writing.
2: Um, yeah. yeah. So can we talk about the breaking process in your rooms? Yeah, I would imagine that uh, New Eden is deeply opposite to probably <laughs> how the Schitt's room worked um, <clears throat> because the story was so hyper narrative. We knew we had to break kind of all of it at once. Uh, at least the larger, the larger arcs of it. Um, And it was also the the reason that Kayla and I made the decision to write all eight scripts, um, which we might not have on a different form of show, but on this show, it just felt like the voice was so unified. It was kind of like a four hour mini series almost that was broken up into episodic television. So we just felt like we needed to maintain that voice all the way through. So I think- Did you guys have a room though? Or was it just the two of you? No, we we did have a room. Mm Yeah. So we had we had some wonderful, brilliant writers in our room who were just incredible minds. So it was a real brain trust thing. And then we would work for some weeks and Kayla and I would go off and each bang out. You know, we couldn't even outline this show really because it was so you know, it's impossible to slug out even because there was so much jumping around. So we really kind of were creating new formats with these scripts in a way uh, just to make them readable for the network. Um, But we would each go away and kind of break one and start one and then come back to the room and workshop those and work our way towards the end of the season. Um, Mm -hmm. But it really was a front-loaded process in terms of narrative at the beginning. And even Kayla and I working on our own before the room started of trying to figure out we we felt like we needed to know where all the bodies were buried and who had done what and have this kind of tight true crime narrative before we could start having fun and writing jokes. Yeah, I feel like the early
1: discussions of New Eden weren't even uh, very funny because it was a lot <laughs> of like, just like literal documents of timelines, where people were, like just geographical information. And then to Ebony's point of having to come up with these new formats, because the scripts um, were having to write edits, like we're writing mm-hmm. editing points and images that pop in. So there's all these new ways we had to kind of, cr- just like cracking new, script format and then the room we did have was really there to like stress test those ideas and just like add and and kind of let us dump out all these endless details that we had come up with together this massive world building we had been doing and then thankfully had these writers around to kind of poke holes at it uh, push us further ask questions and help us like f- further bury the mystery and surprise because we wanted it uh. ultimately to still surprise people what the outcome was and to have big twists as any good like murder murder story should have Um, but yeah it was definitely having to figure out a lot of new stuff along the way for us which was fun and
0: exhausting and
2: complicated and what
0: was the rough timeline of that the sort of the breaking of the whole season it was
2: we we had like a in in just a classic kind of Canadian way the way broadcasting works here sometimes we sort of had a soft green light we had we had a development deal so we wrote two scripts for that and then we had a soft green light where I think (laughs) we wrote up to six scripts Uh and then got the full green light and so it was the period of time was like eight months over which we wrote those scripts but that wasn't all like three weeks on two weeks off like it wasn't dedicated room time it was these kind of fits and starts Mm -hmm. I think but I think the room all told was about six weeks spread over eight months (laughs) and then and then the worst
1: was I think like at one point we this the story was all set in the states and then at some point to apply for i think some cfm uh, CM, <laughs> cmf funding uh, it suddenly had to all be changed to being set in canada and i think we had to do that in a few weeks and so that was like with our researcher and going through it and being like okay we have to learn all about the canadian judicial system we have to go through every script oh and change every setting like it was and we had to do that quickly for funding and i remember that being one of the most terrifying few weeks of just like, I hate this task, it's not fun, and we have to do it. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Schitt's is uh, similar in, uh, <laughs> in the murders. And uh, <laughs> you know, in, in, it's so like, it's funny actually, because it, so I came in end of season four production Scripts were already written and I was just there for basically for punch up and I was a script coordinator, which is like, it can go either way. You can either that can be like, <laughs> you know, you, you shoot your shot and it doesn't work. It's like, but they luckily they liked me and they kept me on. So. But at that time, we actually knew um, season five and six got greenlit together and we did decide, I think, like as a room, it was it, like we decided this is going to be the end. Dan, Eugene, they're like, that's it. We've had a good run. Let's do this. And there was always a thing of like, well, you never know. They could just keep going too. it wasn't like set in stone, but it was kind of, okay, we have actually two seasons now to build towards and Mm -hmm. write to an end. So even though it's obviously not a, you know, a drama type serialized show, like, I really do think the impact of those last two seasons, the fact that we knew to write to this big crescendo to this big wedding spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, I guess um, that like, (laughs) yeah, like I think it was just kind of helpful to have these big benchmarks to move towards, even though it's, you've still got these episodic silly little things, but there was, there was some bigger arcs. And I think, people do want that in comedy now and they and and you know to like a on a bigger scale the show had this really nice growth a slow burn of the growth of these characters and and how they change they really start out as like kind of mean shitty people mm-hmm. and by the end you really do care and love them and i think that's what it did so nicely and why people really know really got on board especially towards the later seasons was like yeah we did have these big arcs but it's slow it's not like it's not like david became a nice guy overnight and and it's it felt earned do you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. so yeah and and i think yeah we had it kind of takes away the the pressure of of like oh no what's this big finale when you you had just decided it like two years ago so it's kind of like, we already know, we know what we're building towards. And now we can just finesse all the little things. So I think that it was actually helpful to have, um, yes. Yeah, some of those bigger arcs.
0: I feel like that's the dream. Um, I'd love to talk a bit more about serialized comedy. Cause I think that is what I think that's the future or maybe it's the present. Um, but you know, I think about this with Jan that, you know, part of our conflict on our show is she's, um, a self-absorbed character that is like, you know, thinks about herself first and then others kind of thing. And we want to have growth, but at the same time, the minute that she's really kind of seeing the light, I think that's the end of the comedy. It's definitely the end of <laughs> where we think the source of conflict and tension is in the show. So how do you, but how do you kind of do the slow build? So I, you know, I'm, I'm glad you spoke to that. I think having that two seasons to have a target that you're aiming for is really wonderful, um, but I do think, so, I mean, just to talk a little bit more about that serialization, do you guys feel like if you're going in and pitching shows now or the shows that you're working on, are they? Do, are you seeing more serialization?
2: Is that where we're at? I think so. I think part of it comes from the fact that we're seeing um, shorter orders, You know, I think like Shits is a rare example, but we're not seeing that many shows that are like, you know, the first season's 12 episodes and then the goal is to move to 26. Like, I don't think we're seeing that in the comedy landscape as much, certainly not in Canada as much. So I think there's a built-in imperative when you're talking about an eight or 12 episode season to be telling a story within that season. Obviously our show is a bit of an exception because it's a full anthology that was meant to be a complete story. But I think with anything that we're talking about now, when we're starting to talk about okay, it's eight It's eight half hours and it's often eight SVOD half hours. Mm-hmm. We want to see these characters go on a journey. We, we don't want to see eight episodes that more or less reset to where everything mm-hmm. was because yeah. that mm-hmm. doesn't feel like enough world building to sink into. So I think that's part of, in a practical way, why there's an impetus to kind of have the stories go somewhere.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I feel like I'm personally trying to <laughs> fight against it for pitching
3: because you. I feel like I'm pitching now and people are like, season two episode six what happens and I'm like I don't know why do I have to it? it's like I think there's like this expectation now that like you have to be thinking about and I'm like ah oh, come on can't we just go back to when it was just it's just some people it's a fun world that's it like I don't want to have to be that far ahead but I do think it's it is changing and that is kind of what people want and, and New Eden's a great example but you know like Search Party there's all these sort of like genre blending shows where mm-hmm. we're like yeah we can have this murder mystery but it can be really funny and dark and all these other things and I think yeah I think people just want that it's more fun than the the sort of like classic revert to normal at the end of the episode you know I think we're kind of moving past that
1: yeah I and feel like it'll also- still work I yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it. I think we can think what I usually never think, which is the oversaturation of comedy currently <laughs> like it's that it's it's everyone's a stand up and now there's shows about stand ups like it's a sick, sad world in a way. But I think that oversaturation has. I mean not not to use this word condescendingly but educated audiences to a point of wanting a bit more from their comedies this kind of reset these like endless series where it's just like these the jokes get so they have to become so surface level because there's so many of them and, and that you just start to yearn for something more complex and then you're seeing these hybrids like when Fleabag came out which is this complex emotional character study but it's obviously so funny I think people want that they want to be they don't they don't always want this just reset kind of back to normal stakes. It's uh, we've seen a lot of it.
0: Hmm. And surely, you know, binge watching on streaming services is part of that, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're going to watch, I don't know, four to six episodes of something in a row, which hey could happen it's been known to happen (laughs) you know that that reset starts to feel weirder and weirder right if you're if you're Mm -hmm. sort of watching that reset and i was thinking about this you know like everyone i watched a bunch of the office uh during the pandemic and And it was actually really heavily serialized. I don't think I appreciated it at the time, you know, when it was first on, but there are huge journeys for the characters. And, you know, the fact that by the end, you're sort of rooting for Dwight and Angela to be, you know, (laughs) like a long lasting couple is sort of like, what? (laughs) How did this happen? Um, But there are these, you know, these, I think you're, you do kind of, even then we were starting to get primed to, um, to move forward and not just let characters sort of, be at the one note that they're at forever.
1: And hopefully, too, this means that, I mean, with New Eden, especially, we had these two kind of complicated female characters, and it it was exciting for me not to be building towards a story where everyone learns a lesson and is a better person at the end. Like, we mm. had also got to build towards a story where these characters would be revealed to have these dark issues that weren't going to be solved, or these lies, or, or that they were just, like, fundamentally a bit garbage. That was exciting to not have a, also not have be a vanity project for us, and, like, you know, and then they're really, like, sp- smart and good and more beautiful (laughs) in the end Um, (laughs) that was fun too and and to like what winter was saying we had an end point so it was just getting to slowly build in those little character turns to pay that off it was exciting and it's just so much more fun in a way Mm
3: -hmm. and i think that was a huge thing with shits towards the end too because as you know they slowly get nicer but it's like that is the thing is you don't want to you don't want to be too like Sweetsy, cutesy. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and we were like, how much, by the, you know, by that last season, the juggling act of, like, how much funny and then how much tender, because it it borders on, like, ugh, really, they're really this nice. Right. And I like that Catherine O'Hara never really turned, you know, like, there's some people you're like, no, they're, she's always going to be kind of monstrous or whatever. But there's, that gets to be, like, the juggling act of, Yeah, I know. We don't want to see people like turn out too sweet. It's like they feel real, you know? It all and I think Shits Creek almost feels like a fake world and this because it's so sweet and you're like, Oh, this these like you know, a gay character in a small town, you're like, shouldn't this be tough for him? And it's and it's not, we didn't want to do it that way. But then you're also like, Now are we in a fantasy world of everything's too sweet? And like trying to keep the comedy alive within that. So yeah. It's kind of that, you know, this a lot of people have talked about
0: this during COVID that, you know, that we, a lot of us really wanted warmth in our comedy, you know, Ted Lasso being a great example of just like, you know, what if there was no toxic masculinity in the world? And this is what that looks like. Here's the show for it. And, you know, shit Creek seemed to seem to really um, be part of that too. That it's almost like you couldn't go too tender during COVID, but, um, but I do think it's an interesting problem that, you know, the more that we, you know, allow um, our comedies to be, A blend of other things, a blend of heart and drama, a blend of true crime documentary, sort of different problems. But um, (laughs) but, you know, the more that we sort of they we hybridize how much, you know, what what's the are we endangering the comedy? Um, I don't think that's the case, but, you know, is it something that's on your minds as you're as you're writing?
2: We nope. we didn't worry <laughs> no. no. <laughs> <laughs> didn't <try> <laughs> Next <else>. no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's a valid question, but I think no, that like. <laughs> the evolution we're talking about is I do think in large part it's precipitated by writers being, you know, being the architects of the landscape and then audiences responding as opposed to the reverse. So I don't feel like it's necessarily this external mandate on us as comedy writers to satisfy all these things and the comedy gets lost in it because I still feel like there's room for both sides of the coin something like shits that has a lot of heart and and you know has that tenderness something like our show that does have a lot of heart but is quite dark um, and much more narrative but I think there's a hunger for both um, and I think that's what's exciting really I think it's less that we're maybe this will be the danger that so many things will get mapped on other things that will just be in this kind of messy genre Mm. shit pile. But I think that there will still continue to be a hunger for something comforting that lasts for more episodes and that you can go back to again and again, while a simultaneous mm-hmm. hunger for shows that don't have to be dramas, mm-hmm. so many of which are about organized crime, <laughs> uh, that don't it doesn't have to be a drama about organized crime, but still um, is like, okay, no, this is our viewing experience. This is something we like get into and we binge it. And this is what we're mm-hmm. watching when we're not wanting comfort, but wanting a lot of narrative. And I think it's cool that comedy is able to hit all of those points instead of just one of them, which I think is actually really, For me, exciting.
1: Mm.
2: That's great. Um,
0: I've been thinking about, you know, so the true crime mockumentary, documentary style. um, Is there, did you guys talk at all about porting that into like another season that is a different mystery? Like, so I'm a big fan of American Vandal. I know there's differences, but there's certainly, that's the closest touchstone I could think of to New Eden, Mm. although totally different world, obviously. Um, but I loved that they, I was hoping they would just keep doing, <laughs> just keep doing like new myths, you know, these new mysteries and, uh, that, can kind of explore a different world or, or sort of ideas, um, you know, in this case, you know, women's liberation and feminism and, you know, early, you know, and, and cults, uh, but, <laughs> but is there, is there another version of that that you could imagine doing? another season of oh we've yeah oh yeah
1: (laughs) that was like (laughs) when we pitched the show it was always an anthology series where the a second season would be a, a new timeline and it would always be through the lens of a documentary maybe that style would shift but it would always center around two female characters which evany and i would play and some crime uh so we we have like mapped out a second season if anyone would give us some money but um (laughs) that was
0: exciting i'm gonna call chris kelly right now thank you you please (laughs)
1: um but yeah for us it was it was exciting because i evney and i love we just like to dive into the theme and what we politically wanted to say and i think we evolved beyond some of the political ideas we had in season one so in thinking of season two it's like how do we want to address certain female dynamics or expectations, uh, media pressure on women, all of these things. So it was exciting to think of additional ideas because we could just reframe it and take what we learned and what kind of ideas we explored in the first season and just heighten them uh, for the second season. Yeah,
2: and there was a lot of joy for us in in creating the show and knowing it was going to be that anthology that, you know, like Kayla said, we always knew it was going to be some kind of true crime documentary centered around two women. But because we both love true crime, love history, Um, and love documentary, it was fun to think about all those themes that Kayla was talking about in the context of future seasons, but then also think about all the possible types of documentary styles that we could Mm -hmm. possibly Mm -hmm. play in and to have, and how that would mean we shoot the show. How could we justify two cameras for a season two, please? (laughs) Um, (laughs) How can we have coverage, please? (laughs) (laughs) Uh I'm finding a way to set it in a different, deck because, you know, the 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 second season we talked about would have been set in like you know or would be set in 2000 and like 3ish like right uh, before the housing crisis and that's a, and like right after 9/11 which is a totally different vibe so it was fun for us to play in our history brains and our exploratory brains in terms of then also mapping those themes onto women and female relationships and feminism and all the other things we want to talk about so real nerd exercise for us that we love to do <laughs> can't stop doing <laughs> it sounds like a real Break deep dive Break oh. friends <laughs>
0: I, i'm in i'm definitely on. i know fingers crossed <laughs> um winter in terms of the absolute insane popularity of schitt's creek um over the last year um congratulations uh, it, it's amazing. it's am- am- amazing to see it's all me yeah congratulations to <laughs> you personally that's what I meant I did not mean anybody else involved <laughs> um how, how, did it um did it inform how you guys were writing the last season or two seasons and were you taking into account um gif requirements for instance (laughs) that twitter was going to need of (laughs) david
3: saying different things oh my gosh it's It's, these things like it's funny because really i feel like so many people ask that too like what you know the last season you guys must have been it's like no we were done before the pandemic so before anything became that crazy level of like emmy winning which Even as that happened, because it was a pandemic, I was like, is this real? Did I dream this? You know, it was so, it was so surreal and just we're stuck at home. Nothing felt that, that it's really, it was hard to like grasp what was happening, but no, I mean, the last season ended before any of the sort of Emmy accolades. It was kind of having this momentum. It was on Netflix. It started to be like, Oh, people are talking about it. Okay, cool. But I think even writing that last season, everyone kind of felt like, Oh, you know, it's like, it's going to have its nice little like last run. And, and I, you know, maybe Catherine will get an Emmy, that kind of thing. But we (laughs) certainly didn't, we were like, she deserves one. Catherine should. But like, the, the whole sweep thing was not in our minds was not even a, a possibility. So, and I think had we ha- continued on, the pressure would be, I can't even imagine to try and be like to like one up that like an Emmy sweep. Mm. I know, I'm like, I'm so glad that it's like, oh thank God, that happened after the fact, because, yeah, I think that the pressure would be just, yeah, a lot. But, no, we really, again, like I said, worked towards that last season. We kind of knew it was happening. Season five kind of, yeah, okay, there's like momentum happening. People are watching it. But there wasn't, we weren't playing to, uh, you know, uh, this is going to be huge online. Or, you know, there, it was kind of just like, we've got to hit these targets. There was some, you know, I think the more delicate parts of like the breakup between Ted and Alexis, and that stuff we really had to rework a bunch of times because, you know, those a, a, some of the more sensitive moments I think were like again that battle between how sweet can we go and how how much are we just doing this for laughs? And I think we did we ended up teetering more towards like let's make this really tender and nice and really um, you know have these emotional moments and not be afraid of them. Although it was kind of in the room, it was people being like. I think this is too, (laughs) you know, (laughs) we're like, it's just, it's so funny to look back at now when it's like, Oh, it it obviously was the right choice. But even I was sometimes like, I don't know. I think we just like land on a joke and get out of (laughs) the but it was very, you know, and I think Dan really pushed this. Like I, he really wanted it to, you know, be really sweet and tender at the end and, and no one was thinking this was going to blow up in the way that it had. So I, I and I think that's a good thing, because I, right. I, I think the pressure we all would have felt well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you may have frozen a little bit for me, Winter. Oh, am I back? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do. Um, well, that is, I think that is really fortunate that you didn't have to, you know, you were, didn't have the burden of knowing just how successful and popular. Was be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Early, well, you, but yeah. it would be
1: difficult. I feel like with, with like the modern fandom, I mean, there's so much pressure then to answer to that, and I feel like if you had to go in and write that last season, I think the questions of how sweet, or how this, like, I, you, there'd be this enorm, enormous pressure to satisfy expectation from an audience, which is an intense thing that I feel like a lot of shows deal with now because of, of how many voices, like the the, the huge chamber of voices yelling at what they want or what like the satisfying end they need. So it's, it's going to be, I think a continuously difficult thing to, to balance for shows that hit that popularity. Mm
3: -hmm. Totally. The fandom is, it's so next level and something I, you know, I'm not prepared for. And it's like, you know, they find, they'll tag you in stuff. That's like, I see people doing these Instagram accounts that I'm like, you're doing, more work than I ever did on the show. They're creating like memes and storylines. And and I'm like, these hire these people, this is crazy. Like it's it's, the fans really do like take on their own version of the show and start creating new stuff. And it's that pressure to, A, just to keep up with it. And then you feel this sort of like, oh, do I have to answer to it? What have they done? Like it's, yeah, it's, it's so much. It is interesting
0: that um, that that under Dan's, you know, leadership that you guys didn't worry about airing too much on the side of emotional. Um, And I think that it probably is. uh, I mean, clearly it was the smart way to go. But I guess if I'm really honest about comedy, you know, often you know, uh, in the moment, it might be something funny that just throws me over the top and it's just like is fantastic in that moment. Mm-hmm. But what is the stuff that you're going to talk about later and that people are going to talk about together and people who are passionate about the show are going to be remembering for years? And it, it is often those, you know, the dramatic moments, even in a comedy show that you take away. And, and, and if that's part of the, the mission is to, you know, be memorable and be loved and,
3: and find a place in people's hearts. I guess that's, you just have to err on that side. Yeah. It almost feels like sort of corny in the moment, but it's, it is the thing that stays with you. I mean, even the the rewatching of the office, it's like, I just want to see Pam and Jim get together. Those, those early stages (laughs) of sweet. And you realize like, the other thing too, about more topical comedies, you're like these jokes, aren't funny anymore like a lot of it doesn't last you know so it's like yeah you do come back for the for the emotion
1: think it's as long as every I think it's it's up to showrunners and the writers to just be holding true to what the intention of the show is I would hate a reality where everything was saccharine and super sweet because things like Ted Lasso hit so hard that would be what a what a scary comedy world that would be but (laughs) uh, but you know these are I think these things are important and with New Eden it was like we would have discussions often of like how dark can we go and how serious can we go and then what's the height of like complete absurdity like a giant novelty check or someone like falling down like how can we have both in the show and and uh but that was all to satisfy what our vision was so i think as long as the intention is clear and why you're doing those moments and why you're building in those heartfelt moments is is there then yeah i'm all for it it's so it's so beautiful
0: well you just touched on something so show running new eden can we talk about that were you guys both first time showrunners for new eden
1: yeah, we were we were lucky to be uh, trusted Running. with that position there. You know, we were always worried that someone with more experience is going to be kind of mm-hmm. thrust upon us. But I think the key to this trick is to make a show so complicated that <laughs> no one else can really take control the and then they have to give you the power because you hold the keys. Um, but it was amazing. I feel like we learned more in that experience than I could have over years and years of anything else.
0: Yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, about what the experience was like um uh wearing all the hats, you know, that, that you were performers, you were writers, you were showrunning, so you were thinking big picture all the time. Um can you speak a little bit to that and um and and some of your big takeaways?
2: I mean, it was a really fascinating experience the way the hats started to pile on. (laughs) We knew they would, but you start with just the one. And for me, because writing was the first step, which is where I was most comfortable, I was way more comfortable in the room than I was on camera. So for me, and I won't speak to Kale's experience, but for me, being in the leadership position in, in a writer's room felt kind of normal. And I was like, okay, this, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got this. And then, and then they, and then the hats just started pouring in and it was like, I truly remember being in prep and someone being like, well, we have a picture card meeting at two. And I was like, I don't know what that is. What do you mean? Um, I get it, but I didn't. And then that's when I, that was a moment. I really remember realizing like, Oh, we're about to learn a lot very, very quickly. And I think having, Each other there and coming from different skill sets um, because Kayla has so much onset experience and so much performance experience that I felt like I was really stepping into that side of it, just totally overwhelmed. And she really was able to help me guide me through that side of the process. So I think because we had different skills, we kind of were able to hybridize what we're really good at and create. I'm not going to say a super showrunner because that would be rude. <laughs> um, but we were able to kind of manage and maintain, given the fact that we were also starring in the show, um, mm-hmm. and really delegate, for the most part, to some really incredible people and some really incredible keys that were really on board from the beginning with this kind of crazy vision. Um, that we were really committed to and trying to, I think our biggest strength was just getting other people to commit to what we were trying to do.
1: <laughs> yeah. Selling the selling the story of the show, but yeah, having each other was just so, I can't imagine having to do it alone. It's again, like Ebony's like been in a leadership position in writer's rooms so often. And so I could really like rest with her in that space. And then, you know, from a set performance space, like she could rest on me and it was that back and forth, but through it all, we had a lot of, I mean, really, it was just us having a lot of conversations, but we would talk a lot about like there are areas where we're going to be really green and we have to be completely comfortable telling people that and being really transparent with what we don't know and asking the questions. And if something's confusing, ask questions. And I feel like even doing it again, we would know to always follow that gut feeling of like this doesn't feel right or there's something that's not clear to me and pushing for that clarity. And then on the flip side of that, um, I feel like there's a lot of old ways of making shows that just don't work anymore so it was also just setting a new precedent for how we wanted our set to feel our room to feel and saying like this is how we're going to do it because this makes the most sense to us and not always trusting the the instincts of those that have been in the industry for so long doing things that work but just don't work for us or a show that's this female it was it was a balancing act of of that I think
2: I do think our biggest lesson, we've talked about it a lot since in our kind of postmortems with each other, is that the moments we regret aren't the moments when we stuck to our guns or um, Mm. committed to our vision. It's the moments when we let... Someone who hadn't bought into the show, hadn't bought into the way we were doing things, who just wanted to do it the way they've always done it, which didn't work for this show. And we let ourselves feel green in those moments and not push back and not say, I'm sorry, we're the showrunners, we're doing it this way. I think those are the moments we regret far more than the the risks we took
0: that's a great that's a great lesson to try to learn I'm trying to learn it myself too um and it's it's so yeah so you you never regret the things that you stuck to your guns about that's that's great I wonder if the the genre busting nature of the show does sort of feel like it at least gave you you know the, the 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 reason to be able to say, we're not going to do it like that. We're not going to do it like that um, because this show is very different. So, so that's great that you had that, um, you know, the sort of the, the real motivation to, to say, yeah, not, not, that, not this time, not this show. Well, again, yeah, there's just so many
1: hard, like so many things that were difficult to approach or like hard to break down, even like boarding the show and figuring out like the schedule. It was so complicated across different timelines. I think we had, in total, how many cameras? Like 12 different kinds of cameras. So that too is like the different, like all of this was so insane. So that was also a great way for us to go like, well, it's just not gonna work because this is a different thing. We can't block shoot in a traditional way. We have to approach this like a film. Like we have to be thinking about it that way. So it allowed us some freedom to, I don't know, to maneuver and create a space that felt new and was for us and and to support our cast and make sure they felt comfortable.
2: I mean, like Kayla said, for any first-time creators or showrunners out there, the trick is to make something so complicated and weird <laughs> no. that no one can tell you you're wrong or that there's a different way to do it. And that, I, I mean, I'm joking, but also I'm not. Create, yeah, create
1: create, such a house of cards that the yeah. network, if they give you a note, the whole thing will come tumbling down. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's great. You would heard it here first, people.
1: <laughs>
3: uh, I feel like Sounded my... <laughs> relationship to show running has always been like, like the early days I was like, Ooh, I can't wait to get my own show. And I'm going to show run. And then I, the more rooms that I'm in, the more I'm like, this looks like hell. It's <laughs> so hard. I remember like, you know, whatever season Dan, we're in the middle of something important in the room. And someone like comes in and is like, we, we stopped on set like what angle did the blinds need to be at to hit the, and I'm like, how is this like, this, like this tiniest detail onset of something that's like the questions that would come at him were just so every little detail and he'd have to answer. And I was like, I don't, th- I don't know if I have the the patience. It was just, it's so, it's such an overwhelming job. There's so many, and, and people just turn to you. And sometimes I'm like, do you know, or do you just act (laughs) like, you know, I'm like, it's gotta be at this. Like, it's just, there's so many little things that I, I, I can't imagine the, yeah. the And I also think like what a great thing to do it together as a team. Cause I would, I would certainly crumble.
1: I think of like the most absurd I feel like the through line of the most absurd thing we had to deal with was just this image that we had written in the script which was this this character Amy having this big pregnant belly and the belly being covered in bees and the meetings we had to go to talk about <laughs> so deeply insane we went to an apiary we talked to a bee expert at one point we were going to get a giant fake belly that we would bury a hole in then the bee expert would get the queen bee put the queen bee in a trap out, put that inside the belly then all the bees would fly to the belly and we'd have to shoot that real quick and we had a woman that was going to wear the belly and that we'd have these meetings that felt like true insanity until we we're like yeah. can we do it in post <laughs> okay, okay great no great. live bees okay great <laughs> but these meetings were <laughs> insane and we'd always apologize like well, sorry we wrote this. sorry we wrote
3: this sorry <laughs> um sorry we're sorry but actually we're sticking to it and we absolutely we will not change it's it.
2: It's essential, essential to the story. It is <laughs> cuz the plot's a house of cards so we cannot lose these bees. And we had what we had one live bee on set and it took yeah. I think that's the work like what was one of the longest overtime days we had cuz the bee could not do the small thing we needed the bee to do because it's a, a bee. bee. <laughs> sure. Kept walking at my sleeve in a way it wasn't supposed to do, um, but yeah, there was a lot of yeah, a lot of so many chaotic moments in retrospect of things that we were just it felt like very serious and realistic discussions at the time that in retrospect are like oh, I have a lot about these. Okay.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it is an interesting sort of you know thing about
0: what we do um, that you know we, we we write in these rooms and we we write shows and then the you know, in theory, the path, the goal is always to sort of make your own show. And then suddenly you're a manager of people and departments you don't necessarily know anything about. I mean, I laugh about you saying picture car ebony, because my first picture car meetings, I was just like, I don't care. Like I <laughs> d- I could not care me. less about cars. So can somebody just choose some cars? But you're and sitting he, in front of a man who desperately cares about yeah, cars and, and you're like, oh, well, you. <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. like he's been trying to get that one, like, you know, whatever, tripped out whatever car into something because he loves it. it like, <laughs> I don't care. Is it is it gonna be confusing? Then I don't want it. But you know, <laughs> there is a lot of stuff you have to to start to pretend to care about um, mm-hmm. otherwise things could still go really really wrong um, <laughs> I mean, like this is very confusing
3: Why um,
2: well, it, uh, it's such a weird thing about show running i mean m- many people have talked about this before on many podcasts i'm sure but it's like the the personality that makes a writer or a comedy writer doesn't necessarily naturally lend itself to being a great manager um, mm-hmm. and a super organized like team leader um, so it's so interesting to discover within yourself if you have uh, the unlikely hybridization of those skills, because there are people who are brilliant writers who are not have short tempers or not good at managing people or not good at managing details, um, and there are people who are wonderful organized managers and can't write, and that's why they don't get that job. But it's this weird job nobody like trains for. There's no like CFC program for this. It's just like, do you have? It's like people who are comedians who are really good at self promotion. It doesn't mean being good at the internet doesn't mean you're a f- funny stand up. It's like a similar but much lower stakes
3: <laughs> analogy <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> of just having to have the ability to do both of those things simultaneously. Which is again why it's great to have a partner because when you just want to lose it, someone else is there to tag in and be like, "Hi, I love cars. <laughs> Talk to me. Talk in my eyes." <laughs> <laughs> Well, and,
0: um, I do think that, um, there is, yeah, I feel like uh, I am a concerned in Canada, especially, but you know, I think everywhere this is happening that with these shorter runs, like you mentioned, um, and with things being done a little bit differently, maybe there's more block shooting and less, you know, sort of shooting episodes one or two at a time, um, that you know, are, are writers going to be learning and training up and getting to see some of the process first so that they're not it's not sort of like writing, 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 developing, developing. And then suddenly you have the show and you have to discover on the fly whether you're good at any of those, you know, those other skills. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, did, did you guys have uh, opportunities? Have you had opportunities and, and winter as well to be part of the production process in, in any kind of way? Um you know, yeah. so that you feel like you're building that
3: along the way? Well, I actually, I started, um, I interned at, at Bell Media <laughs> and I worked at a, a production company for two years before I was even, even had the confidence to be like, someone read my script. Like I was very, because I don't have, I didn't have like a artist background or performing I was like how does anyone get into TV how do you do this and so for me it was like oh if I if I kind of like break into production I can maybe at least get a glimpse of like how it's made and that kind of thing so for me it it was a, a helpful tool just because I had truly no idea how like set works or anything but mostly I was interested in the writing and I did get to like meet with creatives, writers, people, and and kind of see how that process worked. And, and I, and I, I PA'd on some shows we had in production. So I really did get, I think, a good, like, glimpse at, uh, you know, well, truly just, I think being a PA is great, because you get to see every single person's job and kind of figure out like, oh, what am I good at? How can I fit in here? And, and I did. I, I think I like assisted a showrunner and I kind of got a sense of like, OK, this job is way harder than I than I thought it was. I just like being in the room, but good to know the that it is this, you know, I mean, we, we all know it's like this entire show is a beast and, and people care deeply about the props department in this and that it's just so important to, uh, you know, on top of everything, be like respectful of this as everyone comes in and is doing an incredible job. And it's so important to not be like, cause really, do I care about the blinds being a no. And you, and I feel like if I was a strong owner, my, (laughs) my, the difficulty for me would be to be like, I don't care about any of this, just choose, but you have to care. And you have, and I think, I think the thing that, you know, new Eden, like you guys obviously care about the show. It's your baby. And I think that's maybe another part of it is when it's your own idea. If someone asked me to show run a show, that's not mine. I'd be like, I I can't, there's no way I could do that, that effort if I don't care about it. But I think it's something that you've created, something that you care about so much, all those little details. You do have to, even as tedious as they may be, it's like, okay, you're, you're trying to you know, at the end of the day, make something great. I feel like I went on a very long no. no that was exactly I started. I felt like I was on a journey. <laughs> I feel like
1: I, I like I. I think the experience that I had early on, which I think speaks what you're talking about, was like making like real scrappy short films with friends and filming these things together and having to like literally do all the jobs to make something. And I think that gave me an appreciation for all the different working parts and how amazing it is when another person will be in charge of that. Please, um, so I feel like that gave me a sense of what what was needed. And, and to your point, Winter, I think that creating like a buy-in for everyone and having everyone feel like there's an investment that they're drawn in, that they're going to get to showcase their own artistry, mm. that allows everyone to feel like they're contributing to something that's giving them something back. So I feel like when we were going through and hiring Keys, it was like, how can you like what do you want to showcase and what's going to make this special for you and therefore everyone was on our side and on our team and it just made it feel so organic to collaborate because everyone had a personal investment and i think that's really the big job of a showrunner is like creating that sense of of team and collaboration where it feels like everyone's going to get something satisfying out of this and be inspired um, which is hard but if you believe in the show like we did and it's our baby then we're like, please love our strange baby.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so weird, this baby.
0: <laughs>
3: uh,
0: okay, um, so a little bit of a um, uh, sort of circling back, but I know people in comedy get asked this all the time. But how much improv um, comes to play came to play in your shows?
3: Um, I, so, I feel like uh, people think there is quite a bit because Eugene and Catherine have that sort of background, but there, it really was, we really stuck to the script for the most part. Um, Other than Catherine, who sometimes would just just wing it and 1000% be better than anything we could ever come up with. So we were (laughs) like, yeah, of course, that's the line. That's way better, you know? But for the most part, I think, yeah, there wasn't really a ton of improv on set. It was very, Shits also, I think, kind of famously had pretty long scenes, like the whole half hour was, I think we had like 14 scenes or something. So they're like pretty lengthy. And so there wasn't, I think you, you probably have more room if it's just like a quick punchy scene to do some more like, take some more fun takes. But most of our scenes were kind of long. So there just wasn't the, uh,
2: the room for that, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what, what was it like on New Eden? a real mixed bag I think because it was I mean we felt really like Kayla and I in particular felt comfortable improvising because who are we going to piss off ourselves (laughs) um uh, but I so I think but there was a real mix in terms of our cast of people I mean ultimately it there was no plot points that were improvised in the show because mm-hmm. it, the, the plot was so, so, so mm-hmm. structured. But because of that doc style, there was a lot more room I think to play and to know just the intention of the scene. But, you know, Cale and I come from an improv background and have been improvising together. So there was in our confessionals, there was so much room to do that. And um, Caitlin Howden who plays Sharon also is an, is a brilliant improviser and, and really skilled in that way. So she felt really comfortable doing that and was like a great kind of leader for the cast and getting them comfortable with that. But then, you know, Ronnie Rowe, who played Wyatt, is like mostly a dramatic actor. So he wasn't like it didn't occur to him as much to improvise in his. But he was so text focused. And so was Leia Dawes, who um, played Max and they were both very funny and wonderful. But it was their approach was much more to come from the text, come at it like theater actors would. So I think there was a real hybridization of moments that were like pure moments of like creation on set and improv that were a lot of the stuff in the house. Mm-hmm. And maybe in in our confessionals, uh, but I would say for the most, it's always it's always more to script than people think. I think to speak to winters, mm. point. yeah. We were. I think it was it
1: was mostly just it was like character nuance that felt the most improvised, and we really encouraged, uh, especially like the central like cult figures of the of the show to be like, this is what we've written, but we chose you because there's some spark or you're bringing something. So feel free to add extra detail or texture to your character as much as you as as you like in in takes, but. But then at the end of the day, when everyone's like, How much is improvised? It's like there was no time or money to have these extra <laughs> takes where everyone's goofing yeah. around. It's like you were <laughs> running. <laughs> and this time, let's have fun. No, it's like it's like, like a hard schedule we have to yeah. stick to. So they were always genius moments in turns, especially Caitlin Howden. There's some things where I'm like, That's absolutely insane what you did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's hard to schedule those in.
3: Yeah. And I think the other thing people are like, oh, there's going to be so many fun improvised lines. It's like, yeah, but some of the biggest laughs, I think that if we did have the time to be, you know, do a goofy take then. But it didn't work for like the episode. You know, mm-hmm. that's the problem is sometimes the funniest stuff is just funny because it's, it's wacky. It doesn't make sense. Doesn't actually work. So I think, yeah, by the later seasons, it was also like it's just there's no point in doing it because we end up cutting it. It, and then, as you guys know, it's like, well, then in editing later, we're like, why do we do this? Like, so I just end up not doing as much.
1: Yeah. Uh, and some in some like comedy limbo, there's just a million little improvised <laughs> tags where someone's like, and that's how I feel at the end of the <laughs> scene. And none of that ever makes it
0: in. <laughs> Unusable. <laughs> Unusable. The crew thinks yeah. it's hilarious, but yeah, you yeah, were <laughs> sort of like okay Um, I think it's really important for people to hear that I just think it's really important for people who are not comedy writers to understand that um that the script really is you know what you're you know the the, what you guys are nominated for is actually um you know largely what made it to screen as opposed to
2: yeah you did a little sketching out and then the (laughs) actors did a lot of the work. No, I, the real skill of comedic actors, I think, is to be able to, live, to, to deliver a well-crafted joke that a room full of highly skilled comedy writers <laughs> wrote the same way as spontaneously seven times in a row yeah, hitting totally. the same mark. Like, that's, yeah. that's yeah. in itself that people, yeah. I think... And the go, improvising,
1: yeah, yeah, is like the breath or the looking around or the intention. Like, that's the improvising. That's the, like, bending around the line to add, like, just a subtle shift, and that's just performance. And to yeah. any point, yeah, that's the impressive thing that we got to see so much with our cast
0: awesome Um, i wanted to ask you guys how you felt about um so first of all let me ask you about um animation i think you've all just mentioned that you were were or are currently working on animated projects um can you speak a little bit to that is there sort of are are there opportunities for you know comedy writers um in animation that are uh that are maybe we're not always talking about we're we're talking about you know Emmy-winning comedies and, um, but in fact, a lot of uh, comedy writers are working in animation right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a ton of, I, I always encourage comedy writers to, to, to check out animation and to try to get into it, because the best animation rooms I've been in have a real combination of people who come from an animation background and kind of vets who understand that process and will be able to guide you through in early stages, because there's like weird things you can't do in animation. Uh, and to like kind of learn about what some of those are. Um, and then to have people who can really bring the, the jokes and the comedy to those, because it's such a pure simplified form of comedy writing in a way, because it's for, you know, a, a lot of the shows that I write on are for that six to 11 kind of sweet spot. Um, and they're always comedies. Um, and there's, it's, you know, there's no, it's, it's, it's just pure, pure, pure gag character comedy. Um, and so it's such a fun way to learn um, and, a, and such a fun process that's in a production process that's so different, that is really fun to kind of write for and get another side of that experience. And I think it can really improve your scripted skills in the live action side. There's something very pure about writing animation that I really love.
3: Yeah, I've almost come at it, you know, the opposite way, because I feel like so many people start with animation or just have always been, it's, you know, it's, there's always animated shows in Canada, I feel like, and it is a great way to write comedy. And I just, it just happened that Shits was the first thing I worked on. And then, you know, Beaverton and some other things, but having only started it this year, I kind of had the fear because I've only done live action. I was like, oh, is this going to be, am I going to be you know, terrible at this just because like, you know, the laws of physics don't apply in this world. And, and suddenly like, you know, like the reality of live action makes me feel safe. Like I know what the the like parameters I'm working within, but, um, once you get over that, I feel like I, I just wrote the script kind of, okay, I'm just writing it like it's a comedy and then, or like a live action. And then you realize, Oh, I can do so much more now. Like once you have the story, then it's actually like, Oh, great. It's this like magical world that you can play within. And I actually, yeah, I feel like it's, it's more fun in some ways than, uh, than live action. But it was, it was, it, it was scary at first that like transition where I thought like, Oh God, I'm going to be, I'm going to be like, I only exist in, you know, real world. I don't know how to write to this. I, I, I'm a robot in the real world. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Gravity <laughs> forever. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so, um, but I, I've been really liking it. And I think the show that I've been working on is, um, like I was saying, is kind of adventure time vibe. It's very, it's very sensitive. And I like that. It's like a show about boys, but it's, it's got a lot of that sweetness. So I'm, I'm, and then, you know, and then also just like surrealism and craziness in it. And, um, yeah, I think it's super fun.
1: Well, and that part's so fun too. I've been doing a lot of, of adult animation, which is, is, so fun because you're not as you're just not restricted visually in the same way. And it's such a nice other part of your brain that opens up. I feel like often you're crafting like action lines that are just like as like tight, simple, expressive, but then this, you get to explore like these images and, and movement and things like purely from your brain. And I find it such an exciting exercise to get to really like sit in the visual and, and picture every little motion and picture like what performance you'd want out of it. When I came to it from, from doing voice work on on some of these pieces and improvising a lot in the booth in ensemble records. and then through that, just naturally started helping it with script stuff. And it was such a great way in because it's, I don't know, removing the pressures of the physical world feels nice for the creative brain.. Uh.
0: Uh, That's great. Thank you. I just got a message from Lana. Yes. We're going to wrap it up really soon. So I'm looking Mm -hmm. for a good capper (laughs) question. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I had a couple, but apparently Lana has questions also. So (laughs) let's see. Um, uh, okay. So, um, Lana's question is, so given the success of shows like Schitt's Creek and Kim's Convenience, uh, on the international stage, um, You know, do we think that there's more um, there are more opportunities for Canadian comedies to sort of to go worldwide, to go international? Um, And does that impact the prospects of making a comedy here at home? What do you think? Bloody hope so.
1: Come on.
2: (laughs) It's time. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's interesting seeing these kind of big dog American companies moving up like Amazon, having a full like Canadian development wing now and all these things. It's interesting. I, of course, feel slightly protective over our like homegrown like networks and that. But it's there's not a lot of opportunity to get those development deals and push forward. So um, there's only so much pie to go around. So this more international interest just feels good. It feels like there'll be a little less restriction. The classic like, but how is this a Canadian story? having to serve that constantly in this kind of like sterile way, I think will loosen, which I think will allow more creators just to be telling stories they want to tell. Um, So I think it'll be good. I hope
3: anything more will be good. (laughs) Yeah. And I think I hate to be like the positives of the pandemic, but one of those things is that we can do these zoom rooms from anywhere and the the border, (laughs) it's like, Come on, we can all be writing stories together and working on, like, like you said, Amazon, Hulu, whatever. Like we can make shows for that at that level. I, also, it's like it's pretty clear that if you put these Canadian shows on Netflix, they blow up. It's like Americans love our shows. So like I think it's um, yeah, it's it's not that I, there's like they used to be the thing of like, well, Canadian comedy is—it's it's specific. It doesn't transfer, and comedy doesn't transfer. British comedies transfer. We watch American stuff. It's—I think it's all very—it's um, starting to like blend. And uh, yeah, I, I, I hope that things like Shits and Kims just kind of pave the way for more.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, and Shits had did that thing too you of we're sort of like small town somewhere in North America where you can't. Admit that you're Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Which I'm like, let's get over that. It's fine. And also let's make a show about Toronto. I feel like there's a show about I mean this is whatever, but
2: there's yeah. a show about every
3: big city. Why can't we do a, we show? Need a show where Toronto focused show? Toronto is the fifth character.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah, stack these women. <laughs> But it's true. I think like there's been a way that like we're either overly pigeonholed in the past with the restrictions around what makes it Canadian. So then it gets very, um,
1: regional,
2: regional, <laughs> perfect, regional. um, but that, and what we haven't been able to kind of show the world, I think, and are finally starting to, um, and Schitt's Creek is such a great example is that there is a great vitality and variety, uh, of, of comedy voices here. And this is a country that has produced famously funny people for years, but that it doesn't have to be like a unified voice because British comedy isn't that way either. But there's a sense that we turn that the international market will start turning to these shows, not because we're forcing them to look at something regional um, and make them like that, but because there's a sense of like, Oh, the stuff that comes out of Canada is really funny. It's really quirky. It's really offbeat. It's really unique, whatever it is. And that there's an umbrella that can just be that for Mm -hmm. why Canadian comedy becomes a destination as opposed to, although I want that Toronto show. So (laughs) I mean, that one, that one, yes. (laughs) Well,
0: that was a really hopeful note um, to, I think, end on. So thank you so much to all of you. Good luck um, with the upcoming awards, but regardless, um, you know, you've done amazing uh, work this past year and I look forward to seeing the next things that you do.
3: Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. So nice.
0: You've been listening to Cut To, a Writers Guild of Canada podcast. Thanks again to Kayla Lorette, Ebony Rosen, and Winter Techanos Levy for such a fun and informative discussion. And we hope you'll be watching the 2021 WGC Screenwriting Awards Ceremony on April 26th. Thanks for listening.